So Acts chapter 24, we're going to read verses 24 through 26, Paul the Apostle. And it says in verse number 24, And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time, when I have a convenient season, I will call for you. Sad case of affairs. Two weeks ago, last week, of course, Dr. Rasmussen was preaching for us in this service, but the week before that, I preached a message about almost still isn't, and it was on King Agrippa and how he was so close to receiving the gospel, but he was not persuaded. Sad case of affairs. This story here, it, it rewinds a little bit in the Bible, a couple chapters, to when Paul is standing before the governor Felix in a similar situation where a man had an opportunity, but he rejected it and lost it. So today I want to talk to you for a few moments about the inconvenience, the inconvenience of the gospel. And as I think about Paul, he's sitting here and he's in chains, he's been in prison, He's called before the governor, Felix, here, and he is in a unique situation. He's in a situation that none of us probably would desire to be in. I don't want to be in prison. I heard of a Canadian pastor who's in prison. Maybe you've heard about that. It's not a place that preachers really want to be, although they do end up there on occasion. And as I think about the persecution that Paul faced, I can't help but think what he wrote to to Timothy in, in the book of 2 Timothy towards the end of his life, right when he was finishing up his course. I've, he says, I finished my course. I've kept the faith. But he says here in 2 Timothy 3.12, he gives advice, real encouraging, encouraging words to young Timothy in the faith. He says, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Woo, way to, way to start off a ministry of a pastorate. If you're going to live godly, you are going to suffer persecution. Paul, he of course said this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he penned those words, but he also had a lot of experience to back that up, wouldn't we say? A lot of experience. If any guy had faced that much, I mean, I don't know of anybody who's faced that much persecution and, and lived. And so... As the persecutions that he faced was, was beatings, shipwreck, stoning, imprisonment. And of course, we believe that Paul the Apostle was beheaded even in prison and lost his life for the sake of the gospel. He knew what that verse meant, that all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Think about your life. Do you suffer persecution for your faith? Do you suffer persecution for your faith? We do live in America. Thank God. I don't want to live anywhere else. It's the greatest country on earth. God's blessed America because of its Christian values and for all these years. We're straying away from that. And right now, however, we don't face much persecution. And we would all agree to the other third world countries and places, com communist countries, we probably look like a, like a bunch of sissies compared to them about what they go through. But even in our society where 
religion is open and it's free and you can do whatever you still if you are living godly in Christ Jesus you will suffer persecution you will suffer persecution i heard a quote uh, recently it said it said something along these lines i don't remember exactly who said it but it said if jesus preached the message that many churches preach today he would not have been crucified If Jesus had preached the message that many of our American churches preach, he would not have been crucified. If we are not facing persecution, we are probably not living up to the standard God wants us to. We are probably not living godly. You say, well, what persecution could we face? We're not going to get imprisoned if we say, I believe in Jesus, or tell other people that Jesus is the only way. It's pretty specific. He's the way, the truth, the life. Salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. If we start stirring comments like that up among our community and and our friends and our family, do you think you'll be persecuted by your neighbors if you came off as strongly about the things of God as Jesus did and as Paul the Apostle did? Don't you think you would make some enemies along the way? People that wouldn't like... Yes, and I hear stories from our people about how they face some persecution for their faith. Jesus told his disciples, he says, you know, I I come not to send peace. People don't expect Jesus to say this. I come not to send peace, but a sword. That's what Jesus said. He said, I've come to set father against mother and, you know, children, you know, against their parents and and." and daughters against their mother-in-law. What was he saying? He says, the message that I'm bringing to you is going to cause division, and it's going to cause persecution, and it's going to cause family members to disown other family members. The message of the gospel, it's inconvenient. Paul is definitely an example that he was inconveniencing himself to get the gospel message to others. How much are you inconvenienced by the gospel message? How much are you inconvenienced? He was inconvenienced. He was, in, he was bound up. He was told what to do, where to go, how to go, when to sit down, when to stand up, what to eat. He was pretty inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel. How inconvenienced are we? Do we become inconvenienced when we try to share the gospel. If you are going to fulfill the command of Christ and get the gospel to the world, get the gospel to people you know, it's going to inconvenience you. It doesn't just happen naturally. When I, when I showed up for door-to-door yesterday, it was an inconvenience. I'm just, going to tell you, I'm just going to tell you what it was. It was an inconvenience. There's other things that I could have been doing. They weren't nearly as important. But I had to inconvenience myself if I was going to go out and hand that one track to the lady who says, oh, I've been wondering about the beach service. It was an inconvenience. And if we're going to get serious about getting the gospel to others, we're going to have to inconvenience ourselves. It'll inconvenience our schedules, just like I mentioned. It's going to inconvenience our careers, possibly. Wouldn't it be great if God called some missionaries at a gospel Baptist church to take the gospel to other places around the world? But we got to be willing to be inconvenienced. When I surrendered my life to Christ, I said, I'll go anywhere. I said, I'll do anything. I'm not holding anything back. You can inconvenience me as much as you like. And I'll tell you, at that one moment, it was one of the most peaceful moments in my entire life because I surrendered exactly what God wanted me to do. And I was willing to be inconvenienced no matter what it cost. 
May we keep that inconvenience. It may inconvenience our budgets. We just got done with missions conference. And man, missions can inconvenience your budget. It's worth it. Getting the gospel to the dark places of this earth, people who have been not as fortunate as we have to have the word of God and have the preaching and teaching and uh, Bible preaching churches almost on every single street. It may inconvenience our budgets. How much are you willing to be inconvenienced to let the gospel get to other places around the world? If it, if it came between supporting missions and paying your $100 cable bill every month, what would you choose? First world problems, right? <laughs> if it came between getting that new car every two or three years that we like to get versus supporting missions, what would your answer be? These are the stuff that we face. Getting the new, getting the new iPhone. You name it, you fill in the blank of something you want to do or want to get or want to be a part of. How much are we willing to be inconvenienced? May God help us to inconvenience ourselves for the cause of Christ. Our schedules, what are we willing to give up? I found that I, found that I do what I want to do. <laughs> we can agree with that. I enjoy playing sports. I've been playing tennis recently, some of the men in the church here, and I like it. So what do I do? I carve it out of my schedule. Whatever I have to do, I push it aside, and I make it happen once a week. That's what we have to do with getting the gospel out to others. We have to carve things out of our schedule. It's not going to be fun. It's going to actually be uncomfortable. Paul knows what we're talking about. He was in a very uncomfortable situation, sitting in a dirty rotten prison. He didn't have cable TV like they have today. He didn't have exercise chamber. No. He was very uncomfortable. But he was right in the center of the will of God. That's where I want to be. I hope you can see the benefit of being right inside the will of God. So the question is, is what message was so important that Paul was willing to be inconvenienced up to this point? What was that message? Well, verse 25 says, and as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. When I read this verse, maybe it reminds you of something that Jesus said back in the book of John, chapter 16. He says he's, he's giving his disciples a glimpse into the future about how he is soon going to be going to the cross and he is going to experience many things that aren't pleasant and they're not going to like it. They're not going to enjoy it. It's going to be like a, uh, like a mother in travail when she's giving birth. But after it's over, they're going to be joyful. They're going to forget about the pain. And while he's telling them this, he gives them the statement. And he's talking about after he, after he leaves this earth and ascends to heaven, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But I will depart and will send him unto you. And when he is come, here's the part that sounds so familiar to righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. He says, and he will, the Holy Spirit, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Those three things. So the message that Paul chose to preach, I believe, he, of course, under the leading of the Holy Spirit, 
and I'll give you some details in a few moments as to why he picked these things. But this message that he preached, it was not his own message. He didn't try to improve on the message of the gospel. He just preached the truth as to what it was. Many times we don't bring the gospel message when we try to evangelize others. The biggest cop-out, I find myself doing it. I have to fight it. It's uncomfortable. Is I invited them to church. As if we're sharing the gospel with others because we invited them to come to our church and sit down in the pew. Jesus didn't say, go into all the world and invite them to church. Maybe in a different Bible version, but not in the KJV. He said, go ye and preach the gospel to every creature. We use cop-outs many of the times, saying, acting as if we did our part. We invited them to church. You know good and well that the majority of people we invite to church are never going to come. But we have to hear the gospel because when they come to Gospel Baptist Church, I guarantee you they're going to hear the preaching of the Word of God and that Jesus died for your sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again, and we can have forgiveness through repentance and faith in him. They're going to hear that. But many people are not going to walk through these doors, never. But we have opportunity when we come face-to-face with them to give them that gospel message that can radically change their lives. And then after they get saved there's a much better chance that they'll come through the door and be helped. But let us not think that we're improving on the message of the gospel by coming up in our own way. Do I still invite people to church? Oh, absolutely. Am I able to sit down with every single person I pass and I meet in the cashier? Am I able to have, am I able to reason with the cashier for 20 minutes about why they need to be a Christian? No. But everybody, I think, under the sound of my voice knows exactly what I'm referring to when we choose to cop out of giving the gospel message. Paul didn't do that. He wasn't there in chains and shackles and sitting in prison for who knows how long because he wanted to say, hey, come to the synagogue when you get a chance. No, absolutely not. By the way, he didn't hold back either. He held back no punches when he was talking to Felix. He didn't sugarcoat anything. I've seen some people, they talk to a a drunkard one way and and, rail on him about doing this, getting right with God, a filthy, wicked person. But then they talk to maybe a congressman, congressman over in an office somewhere at the Capitol and they cower. And you don't even know who they're talking about. They could be talking about Buddha, Confucius. Who knows what they're talking about? They, they change the message depending when they get to certain people. May we not do that. He hit the nail on the head when he preached this three-point sermon of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Let's look at that. Righteousness. And as he reasoned righteousness, the gospel makes people uneasy. When you invite them to church, they don't want to come because they do not want to be in this environment because it makes them uncomfortable. This is a holy place. This is a place where God's people assemble together and Jesus Christ is uplifted. And to a sinner that is on their way to hell, they don't want to be here because it reminds them of how dirty and how wicked they are, that they are not righteous. And of course, we don't feel that way because Jesus has washed us, he has cleansed us, and he has given us new life. But to the unsaved person, they don't want to hear about righteousness. Most, of us, most people, I would say, associate right, righteousness by comparing with other people. And they associate that I'm good because I'm not as bad as so-and-so. 
I'm good because I didn't murder six million Jews like Hitler did. But we are not comparing ourselves to each other. We are comparing ourselves to Jesus Christ. John 16, when he talks about the Holy Spirit's going to come, remove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, he says, of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Why is the Holy Spirit reproving the world? And he's at work right now, reproving the world of righteousness. Because Jesus is not here anymore. Jesus was the example. But now that Jesus' example is not here, the Holy Spirit's working in the hearts and minds of people, showing them of their need to be saved, and that, yes, Jesus is righteous, but we are filthy and dirty and in need of a Savior. Felix didn't want to hear that. He was not happy about that. But also, Paul preached about temperance. He preached about temperance. And as he reasoned of temperance, temperance means self-control. Self-control. Control. People end up in jail because of no self-control or little self-control. Temperance is the ninth fruit of the Spirit. And I believe a person to really grasp temperance, they must be saved. They must be saved to get and acquire temperance. Anyone can fake change. We've seen it. Anybody can have self-control for a short amount of time, but I'm convinced if we are going to have complete freedom over sin and have self-control, it's done only by the Holy Spirit. Our RU program that we have, it focuses, one of the main things that when you walk in, there's a big poster, one of the main things they focus on is the fruit of the Spirit. RU is not a 12-step program. 12-step programs don't really work. They only, they only mask the symptoms. They don't get to the heart of the problem. And so when you come to our program like Reformers Unanimous, somebody that has little to no self-control and has divulged into sin, they don't need a bunch of do this, do that, do this. It's about the relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and they are only going to acquire that temperance by the Holy Spirit. And if you want to have true freedom in your life, you must Trust Christ as your Savior. He makes your spirit alive. You were dead to sin. Now we are alive unto Christ. And all things become new and the Spirit begins to work in our life. And as we yield to the Holy Spirit, He allows us to experience temperance and have self-control. Romans 6.18 says, Being then made free from sin, ye became servants of righteousness. We weren't free of sin and free from sin until we trusted Christ as our Savior. Let me say this statement. All sin is a lack of self-control. Have you ever thought about that? All sin is a lack of self-control. Every sin that I commit in my life is a lack of self-control. God's given me the ability to not sin. He's freed me from it. Freed me from the chains and the oppressions and the weight of sin. But every time I sin, it is because I do not possess temperance. I do not possess self-control. Every sin can be limited to self-control. So why did he bring this message about righteousness and about temperance to Felix? Well, let's look a little bit about who Felix was. He had at one time been a slave and the only slave in the Roman Empire to rise to the position of a governor. His brother Pallas 
was a favorite of Nero, and though his brother's influence, Nero appointed him governor over Judea. He was a, a, Roman, histor a Roman historian, Tacticus, was a um, caustic concerning him and declared that he exercised the prerogatives of a king with the spirit of a slave. From where he came to where he now is. Once was a slave, now is in the position of a government which is like a king. But while he was in this position of a king, he acted as if he was a slave. And at the, Paul, at the time Paul appeared before him, he had been governor for five years. And he was to reign as governor for two more years until he was recalled. And had it not been for his brother, he would have been executed. Felix was not a good guy. Let's continue on. He was married to three princesses, one right after the other. Drusilla, his wife, as we saw mentioned in verse number 24, is his current wife at the time. And she actually is the granddaughter of Herod Antipas and the daughter of Herod Agrippa I, which is the Herod that ordered the death of James, the brother of John. Felix was such a bad guy that Drusilla was married to somebody else and he wanted her, so he wooed her away from her husband, and now they were living in adultery. He was a bad guy. To put it in perspective, Felix was the kind of man who ordered thugs to murder his close allies and was most likely constantly surrounded with conspiracy. He was a wicked, wicked man. So when Paul, I believe under the leading of the Holy Spirit, spoke on righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, he applied the medicine where it needed to go. We must call sin what it is. Why are Christians today so wishy-washy about what sin is? Why do we not call, call it what the Bible calls it? Why do we not call adultery, adultery? We must call sin what it is. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, here's what the Bible says. Know ye not that unrighteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, that's a strong word, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. Don't we see a lot of that going on today? The Bible is against men imitating women, even in the slightest degrees, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor re re revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus had no problem calling out sin for what it was. Some people say, well, Jesus would never, ever condemn sin. That's what's being taught out there today. Let me, let, me, let me remind you of some things that Jesus did. Jesus threw tables over in the temple and drove the people out with whips. He was into ruffling feathers a bit to get the message to the people. He called religious leaders hypocrites, vipers, dead, blind, gu blind guides, blind fools, sons of those who murdered the prophets. He called sin for what it is. And you can see the effect that it had. 
people either repented or they didn't. But when we come across the gospel message as if, oh, you can take it or leave it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know Jesus just covers all of our sin. We don't get to the heart of the matter, that we are wicked human beings. And if it had not been for Jesus Christ, we would have no salvation whatsoever. We would be in eternity for hell, which leads us to the third thing, judgment to come, and as he reasoned of, judgment to come. What's interesting about this story is that at this moment, the man who is being judged is informing the person in charge, the judge, the, ju- the person being judged is informing the judge that the judge is going to be under judgment. It's a lot of judge and judging. He says, I'm standing before you here, and my shackles are temporary. But your judgment is going to be eternal. How long is eternity? How long is eternity? Think about it this way. Imagine you have a sandbox in the back, in the back of your yard, and you go out into the sandbox, and you are going to count the sandbox one grain at a time. But in between counting each grain, you're going to let 100 years pass. So you finish up with that after how many millions of years that may be. And after that's done, I say, okay, now we're going to go down to Key West. And we're going to start along the coastline of Key West and go to all those little tiny islands. And we're going to do the same thing over again. After we get done at Key West, picking up every grain of sand, waiting 100 years, and then picking up another one, we're going to go over to Australia. Maybe go along the Great Barrier Reef until we've picked up all the sand. And then we're going to go to the Sahara Desert. As far as your eye can see in every single direction, we're going to do the same exact thing. And imagine you were able to do just that. In eternity, that's like one second. To the Christian, that's woo! To us, that's fabulous! That's the best news I ever heard! That I'm going to be free of sin. We're, going to have, we're not going to have these troubles anymore, these ailments. We're not going to have to pray for Bob Rose anymore, who's struggling this, for, this morning. Pastor Bill, he's going to be recovered. He's going to be... But to the unsaved person, this should be terrifying. It should be gripping. It should make you uneasy. It should make you uncomfortable. Because eternity is a long time to spend in hell. A long time to spend in hell. Let's jump down to Felix's response. Same verse, number 25. Of course... Felix, he trembled, and he answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I'll call for thee. He trembled. Paul amplified the message that the Holy Spirit is already at work in this world doing, of sin, righteousness, and of judgment. Paul's words, he himself did not sway Felix's emotions. It wasn't like Paul told him a horror story, and it scared him. No, this was the Holy Spirit speaking directly to the heart and soul of Felix. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful, is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of, a ju- and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Paul used the word of God in the gospel message 
Although his hands were bound, he had a real sharp sword, and he pierced right into the heart of Felix, and he trembled. Paul was using a sharp sword because he knew the word of God. Many Christians were out here running around with dull swords, beating people. If you're going to be an effective witness for Jesus, you've got to know your book. You've got to have a sharp sword. The norm, we were talking this morning in our uh, Sunday school class over here, we were talking about Jehovah's Witnesses. And kind of the status quo, Christians that they find don't know their book. They don't have sharp swords. They don't know how to pierce into the heart Separate the joints and marrow. And the Holy Spirit doesn't do much work in their heart because we don't know our book. We don't have a sharp sword. But I tell you what, Paul, he had a sharp sword, and Felix was under strong conviction. So what did Felix do? Did he bend to the will of the Spirit? No, he refused to hear more. He refused to hear more. I believe he actually cut Paul short in his preaching. Because if you look at the first part of verse number 25, and it says, And as he reasoned, Felix trembled and answered. As Paul was presenting what Felix needed to be saved, he cut him off. He stopped him. I can't take any more. He's shaking. He's trembling. He couldn't take any more. He had to stop it. Some folks underneath the sound of my voice, they don't like the message that I'm preaching this morning. They don't like the message of salvation. That Jesus is the only way to be saved. That we are dirty, filthy sinners. And there is separation between God and man. And the only way to mend that separation is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we must repent of our sins and turn to Christ to escape the judgment that's to come. And so, consequently, you've tuned me out. People do it all the time. Teenager growing up in high school, I did it all the time. Could not take any more. Didn't want to hear it. So he refuses to hear more. But he also, he procrastinated. He procrastinated. How many souls are in hell this moment? Because they said, I'll do it later. I wish we could know how many souls put off trusting Christ as their Savior and says, I'll get to it when it's a better time. There is no better time. The gospel will inconvenience you. It inconvenienced me. As a child in my school years, I was strongly convicted by the Holy Spirit to be saved. And there would be, the only way I can describe it is this, as if there were waves of conviction that would come over me. What I mean by that is, I would be convicted by the Holy Spirit for a few days, maybe a week, strongly convicted. But I would say, like Felix, not now. When it's convenient. When I've lived my life the way I want to live. When, I've, when I went to the university I want to go to. When I've got my life planned out. When I, when I start having a family. Later. It's not a good time right now. I want to do what I want to do. And the convicting power of the Holy Spirit would reside. And it would recede 
Soon I felt no conviction. That's dangerous ground. No man be saved unless the Holy Spirit draws him. I would not be gambling with your soul and saying, I'll do it later. You don't know if there's going to be a later. And you better hope that when you want to, that the Holy Spirit's drawing you and convicting you. The moment that I got saved, I was at a camp meeting in Tennessee, Wednesday night, have no idea what the preacher was talking about. The Holy Spirit was convicting me, and it was, it was as if the Holy Spirit was whispering to me, this is your last chance. I'm not going to convict you anymore. How did I respond? Oh man, I got it right. I got it right. I repented of my sins. Trusted Christ as my Savior. The rest is history. But it was as if the Holy Spirit, clear and plain to me, was this is the last time. Can't explain it other than that. Felix, he said, not now, but later. Jesus tells the story of the rich man who had a lot of stuff. And he says, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build bigger barns and I'll tear down the ones I have, big builder, big, uh, build bigger ones. And, you know, I got plenty of time. God said, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Charles Spurgeon tells a story of uh, a preacher and he says, uh, he said something about, oh, I, I plan on giving the gospel in my evening message instead of in my morning message. <laughs> and Charles Spurgeon, he was a fiery guy. He came right at him and said, well, what if one of your members dies in between now and then? Give them the gospel every time you can. Don't procrastinate. We've got folks in here that probably have spent their lives procrastinating on trusting Christ as their Savior. Don't put it off one more day. We've got teenagers listening over in, in the McKinney Hall that have been putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. Get it done today. You don't know when the last time the Holy Spirit is going to be convicting you. You better respond while he's calling. I wonder how many people are in hell because they said, I'll do it tomorrow and they slipped off into eternity. Don't let that be you. Do not be Felix. Do not be him. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm not trying to use these tactics to work up some emotions in you and scare you. I'm trying to reason with you, just like Paul reasoned with Felix. The Word of God is reasonable. And if you have questions, the Bible has answers. Don't go to hell. Be saved today. You have opportunity today at this moment. We're going to pray and we'll have a few moments of invitation here. And we're going to give opportunity for people to respond. For Christians, if you know you need to get, out, get the gospel message out, talk to God about it. You know you haven't been doing what you're supposed to be doing in that area Let's do business with God today. And if you're not sure about your salvation and where you will spend eternity, do not put it off any longer. We have no idea if tomorrow will come. The devil loves to use terms like tomorrow. If he likes to use tomorrow, we should probably use today. <laughs> One of these days, 
is actually none of these days. Anything worth putting off is worth abandoning altogether. The gospel is not worth putting off. It's worth accepting today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story, although it is a sad story about Felix, who to our knowledge never trusted Christ as his Savior. But we can use it in our own lives, and it convicts us to not put off getting right with you, not put off the message of salvation. We can use this message to encourage us to inconvenience ourselves to get the gospel to others at whatever cost and be in the center of your will. We ask in this moment that you would bring conviction over areas in our life that are not up to standard of what you would have for us. Convict us, draw us close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.